Yeah, with this one, I've actually done some research. Well, that makes a pleasant change. I know. <laughs> and then in danger of... Con- so probably it's best if I lead on this one. Yes. And then we all, we alternate, basically, yeah. from from now See. on. I'll, I'll, w- one week it'll be me leading. And then the next week... Next week it'll be mostly me leading. Yes, exactly. Yeah, how it normally works then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've realised I've sussed this podcasting. I've, right. I'm, com- I'm coming back to the heart of podcasting and it's all about me. It is. <laughs> oh, anyway, knock the hell out of that introduction. Welcome everybody to episode four and a one, 41, I don't know what that is in Bigco, (laughs) (laughs) of uh, the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. My name is Nick Page, I am joined by Joe Davis. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, I'm very excited about an episode that is called What the Hell? What the Hell? Yes. um, That's what we're going to do, we're going to, it's fine, it's what you've all been waiting for, it's the Hell episode. It is. It's a hell of an episode, people. Oh, thank you. Yeah, okay, good. Anyway, have you been? Uh, have you had a good week? I had a great week. I, uh, I, I, uh, I went to see Bill Bailey, uh, oh, the Brighton Arena. Love Bill Bailey. What a very funny and extremely talented man he is. I'll say yeah. no more. But you, honestly, if if you get the chance to go see him, go see him. It is outstanding. I, I adore him. I think he's one of those funny men who you know walks on stage and then that's it yeah you just start laughing i laughed a minute at him for uh, those of our transatlantic listeners you might not know him but check him out on youtube he's very funny very weird and very strange very weird very strange and extremely funny so that was that was very good i had a lovely weekend i was down at avalon marshes in somerset watching the great white egrets Oh, yeah. And I saw a flock of red poles, which I'm not sure I've ever seen before. And I was, again, just great to see a cuckoo because you don't see so many of them or hear so many of them nowadays. So that was very exciting. Oh, funnily enough, I was with my aunt and uncle. They've got one in a clock. <sighs> yes. So that comes out quite regularly. We saw a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I went. Uh, so I had a lovely weekend in Kent last weekend uh, with my relatives. And that was Whereabouts lovely, in and... Kent? Uh, Staplehurst, and then we went down oh, to gosh. Bex Hill. Oh, very good, yeah. Yeah, sure, I haven't been to Bex Hill since I was eight, I think. Oh, there you go. Anyway, uh, and then I saw this amazing play on Tuesday. Um, it's you? called The F- the Flying Lovers of Vitebsk. Mm, and um, it's that about classic. The, it's about, shut up, it's about <laughs> the artist uh, Mark Chagall and his wife and their. Their relationship and their romance and uh, it's so beautiful. I love Chagall paintings, and nobody has ever painted um, married love better than Chagall. And the, they just captured it. It's, it's one of the best experiences I've ever had in a theatre. Be honest. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is very high praise coming from yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And I just came out and I didn't really want to talk to anyone for a while. I just wanted to think about it. it ah, so yes. Beautiful. If you get a chance to see it, do go and see it. It's um, the uh, what's it called? Knee High Theatre, I think. Well, I, I watched a very beautiful film called Rampage last night. Oh, that, that was, sounds lovely. That was, yeah, it was very is moving. Is it a rom-com? It is a very moving piece of art, and I recommend you go and see it. <laughs> who, who, who's in it? Uh, that marvellous, I think he's a Shakespearean actor, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> he was overlooked for the Oscars again, yes. criminally, uh, many of yes. us believe. But, I think yeah. in his Shakespeare mode, he's called... <laughs> Dwayne Yee Rock Johnson. Yeah, I think he probably is. 
Anyway. Anyway. Okay, should we get on? Yes, shall I tell you about Lee Abbey? Yeah, do. Well, good news and bad news. Well, no, I, don't want, I don't want the bad news. I just well, want the news. when I say good news and bad news, I really mean bad news and bad news. Oh, no. <laughs> Why so... do we want to hear this? <laughs> well, uh, they've, they've run out of single rooms now. So it's just the sharesy rooms. Who wants to share a room with a stranger? I don't know. But maybe there are some people out there who are comfortable with that and indeed, you know, look forward to that sort of thing. We I might mean, have some uh, we may. Ma- some couples who are still talking to one another. Yes, and that's another possibility. So in which case, you're, you can still book to go to Lee Abbey. But the uh, the truth is, I think there's about 30 of us going and the other group, which sold out as I feared it would... Is bigger. No. Yeah, only by about five. But that means well, they get the octag. So we go in the chapel, which is nice because it's intimate and lovely. Yeah, I like the but chapel. It doesn't have... Yeah, no, I like the chapels because that's where we met for the Renovari stuff. But, of course, mm. it doesn't have the sea view. That's the only thing. Mm, that's okay. Anyway, but it I, does I mean we, we can escape. a few of theirs. And it's we? good because we can go up, you know, to the chapel and be naughty and it's better there. So that's good. <laughs> naughty in the chapel. <laughs> it is. It's great. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, those people there. But, yeah, it looks like there's not many spaces now. Uh, okay. But if you're a group, there are. Okay, great. Uh, possibly. So a come in your pairs, please. Come um, in your pairs. Two by two into the arc. Or three or four, possibly. I don't know how big the rooms are. Mm, getting a bit liberal. Well, okay. you know, you know, man. Uh, all right. It's all about love. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, shall moving we? On. Moving Correspondence. On. Yes. Go on then. Okay. Great. Well, uh, here we go from uh, Pete again. He says, "Thank you for the podcast. I find it blah blah blah." Well done, Pete. Uh, and he says, "There've been a few episodes where you or Nick have said something along the lines of this doesn't make the best of episodes or words to that effect." I think it's always Nick. Uh, and he says, but I don't I've... think it's a few either. <laughs> no, it's pretty much everyone. Isn't it? He <laughs> says, but I found these most useful in many ways. Yes, granted, I'm probably more than a little odd. I really enjoyed the humour. I find it useful. I do enjoy the interviews. Alexander Shire, brilliant. Thank you for our first bit of feedback on that. And he says, but I find the two of you discussing your own experiences and views most useful of all. Open, frank and obviously genuine. A genuine thank you to you both. I do feel as though I've met many friends. Um, and then he says, I just described, I just subscribed to a podcast by a guy called Richard Fluffy Raw, and my daughter and I love the Velveteen Rabbit. I've used oh. quotes from Little Marty Boober and various other authors you've mentioned, even some from Nick's books, but don't tell him. There you are. Oh, yeah. Well, there you are. Well, I have. Thank you, Pete. And he says, keep it going. It's so that's very, good. It's very encouraging of you. Thank you. I don't think I do it as a kind of like false modesty. I just do it sometimes because genuinely I think it's going to be rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know. Yeah, it's, we're we're British. What can you expect? Yeah, it's, and he's, he signs himself Pete, aka Mister Sad Old Person, which is <laughs> yeah. rather lovely. And then uh, one from Tim. He says, "Hello, chaps. I agree with all you say about peace time, Sabbath, etc. But building in regularity, you're taking half a day to pray is the pinnacle of impossible. Yet again, it's something you can really fail at in your spiritual mm. life." And he says, "My oasis is DiscoveringPrayer.com." And he says, seriously, it is glorious. Over the last okay. two years, I've found DiscoveringPrayer.com on my device that I have uh, with me, not in another room, has enabled me to have a regular 10-minute time of reflection, peace, silence and prayer. Don't knock 10 minutes. It's transformative. And I definitely wouldn't. Uh, so no, I uh, think it's thank great. you for that. Yeah, that's great. I'll check that out. I, I think the point is that you, so often with these uh, practices, what we do is we set them up as, as ways to, to sort of beat ourselves up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do them, another thing to fail at. 
Yeah, if you just be liberated, I don't mind how long you do. But, you know, 10 minutes is transformative, I think. That's yeah. great. Incidentally, these are hugely redacted emails. You know, they were long and lovely. And thank mm. you for people. I know I'm mm. not doing justice to all that you wrote. OK, so this is from someone um, who says, personally, officially known as Nick's brother. Oh, and uh, yeah, he says, uh, anyway, after the greetings, which is lovely, he says, well, I can't comment for anyone else. But for me personally, I found what Alexander had to say rather annoying. Perhaps it's just me being an extremely old git and getting, as my wife regularly informs me, more and more like Victor Meldrew every day. <laughs> I do, though, have a real problem when someone announces that they have found some new way of looking at the Bible that amazingly no one has thought about for almost 2000 years. First came across this phenomenon when I read a book called The Secret Message of Jesus and found that rather than having discovered some sort of hidden secret that no one knew about, the writer was only regurgitating what was always at the heart of the Gospels, namely the proclamation (laughs) of the kingdom. And he wonders if Alexander is doing something uh that he said uh thanks for getting back to me so problem so promptly you are much better at that than nick <laughs> oh right well he's, it's true actually i owe him two emails as we sit here <laughs> he did go on to say that actually he did really enjoy some of the things that um alexander said i i didn't feel he was saying something new he was just saying people have always known about this spiritual journey and so it was shaped and written by that but like him and like you I've got questions. Yeah. I'm going to read the I book. Mean, yeah. Firstly, I should say my brother is about as far from a grumpy old kid as I'd know. No, but he secondly, strikes me as lovely. Sec- oh, he is lovely. Why couldn't he have been my friend? <laughs> because no one else would I be. befriended the wrong one. I'm the only one who was stupid enough and desperate enough. That is true. Um, yeah, I think it's when people say, oh, well, they definitely did it because of this. That's when I start, yes. you know, early church. That's when I start to kind of think really... Switching, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's the historian in me. Okay, right. Uh, let's finish with one more. Uh, yeah, just one more. Okay, so from Phil. And he says, first off, I'd like to say that I have no expectation any part of this or any other email being read out. It's just good to be able to be part of the conversation. Ha ha! Ha ha! He said, I agree entirely with Nick Four about the book of Ecclesiastes and goes on about that. He says, I love it if exactly the same reason as Nick Four. It's honesty and it's reality about life. But uh, he goes on to comment on, as regards social media and the internet more generally, I certainly agree that we need to control it rather than it controlling us. And he says, as an ex-software developer, I was hoping to write an app that would automatically enable or disable Wi-Fi and mobile data on my phone to a specified schedule. No distracting pings, no point in endlessly checking for new notifications. But sadly, it seems that this is not possible. I do, however, aim to keep my phone, tablet and computer turned off on Sundays. I'm not dogmatic about this. Sometimes it's not possible, but it is my usual practice and I appreciate the break. I do also aim to keep the Sabbath on Sundays. Again, I'm not dogmatic about this, but what it essentially means to me is not doing things that I'm obliged to do. A simple definition of work, such as admin, DIY, etc. Although I do cook and clear up after our Sunday roast. And he says, having this as a rule, it's not a hard and fast one, means that I can enjoy the rest and relaxation without fretting. And I, and I ought, in inverted commas, to be doing something else. Of course, I need always to be mindful of how this might impact my wife and family but that shouldn't stop it being the starting point for how i and we spend our sundays so really affirming of yeah you know just that message you were talking about last time about social media and then he recommends a couple of books he said nick's comments about deep work brought to mind a book uh, the way we're working isn't working by tony schwartz and he really recommends that and then he says regarding sabbath he recommends the rest of god by mark buchanan okay and then he says And then he says some nice things. 
to us. So thank you for the nice Great. things. We'll, we'll put some links up uh, to that. Thank you very much. And any more uh, responses to that would be always welcome. Um, Great. Well, I've got an I've got an email here before we get into the main body of it. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask whether you did. Yeah. No, I have. Dear Mister and Missus Davis, as you know, I do not listen to your podcast because I've been taught from an early age to keep my ears pure and undefiled, not to mention other parts of my body. But I have it on good authority that this week you'll be discussing the delights of eternal damnation and the deep blessing of conscious eternal torment. I remember how thrilled I was when, as a six-year-old, my grandfather first gave me a copy of the colouring-in version of Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I also enjoyed his follow-ups, Sinners in the Hand of an Even Angrier God and Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Age of Ultron. I do hope, <laughs> I do hope that just this once you will take the orthodox line. Yours completely elect, Ethel sad old person. Ah, lovely. Do you, do you, have you ever read... Uh, Sinners in the hands of an angry god. Uh, no, I think do you I've know man- of it. Uh, yes, I know of it, but I think mm. I've managed to avoid it uh, fairly successfully the, through uh, college. Yeah, it, it's one of the great heartwarming of, stories. Heartwarming of uh, our you're generation. going to hell uh, revival <laughs> pre- uh, sermons from the eighteenth century. Um, ah. I had a quick, I had a look at it actually in prep for this, and um, I'd give you. Shall I give you a little quote? Yeah, this is a quote from this, this is a quote from uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards, not the not the triple jumper. Yeah. Um, th- he says that world of misery, that lake of burning brimstone, is extended abroad under you. There is the dreadful pit of the glowing flames of the wrath of God. There is hell's wide gaping mouth mm. open, and you mm. have nothing to stand upon, not anything to take hold of. There is nothing between you and hell but the air. Tis only the power and mere pleasure of God that holds you up. Mm. Still, you've got to laugh, haven't you? Actually, I put the last bit in. Uh, anyway, um, no, you know, <laughs> that's beautiful, it's isn't it? It's a lovely it's poetry. I think we could it end is. the podcast there, really, Let's and just it. say we're all doomed. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, the thing is, so I have been. Uh, <laughs> I thought it'd be good to have a look back and uh, look at what um, the Bible says. And the interesting thing about Ethel's uh, request that we take the orthodox line is that. Um, we still yeah. have to acknowledge there's always been different opinions on hell. There yeah. isn't really an orthodox line. We think there is, but no. actually there isn't, uh, because the Bible is um, a bit sort of uh, ambiguous in certain places. We, yeah, we, uh, more than ambiguous, I would have Yeah. Thought. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if we look at just, just maybe we'll just yeah, kick on. off with what the Bible said, shall we? Come just on then, do it. Make things strange. Um well, firstly, in the Old Testament, there isn't much in the Bible. In the Old Testament, no. there isn't much about hell at all. There is no. there's a place called Sheol. Sheol, yeah, yeah. Which, which is uh, some naughty translators do translate as hell. Yes, do they? But not? It's not really. No. Well, it, it just means the the apparently the Hebrew word, the root of the Hebrew word comes uh, is to, um, sort of uh, insatiable kind of uh, eating. You know, it, 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 it's kind of like the insatiable grave. Basically, it means everybody's going there. We're all going to be devoured. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that and it's just a fact, really. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not necessarily a mythological place or anything. It's just that's the grave. Just, it's the you're pit. Just, you're just going there. where the worms um, are. Later yeah. on, they sort of develop that into a place where they think spirits will be. But mm. uh, so they did have an idea of that. But but you know, it, it's just sort of a bit dark and gloomy, like Eeyore. Eeyore's gloomy place. <laughs> um, then there's the Greek word Hades is used. Yeah, which is a bit like Sheol, but with a bit more darkness. And um, I think. I don't know. Does it have a three-headed dog guarding it, Hades? I can't ever remember. Anyway, uh, 
Yeah, maybe a three-headed so, dog, a flaming sword, and uh, you know, a candle, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. a sen- scented candle, and a and a, and a bouncer goes. Oh, you're not coming in dressed like that, mate. Um, yeah, so uh, that's it. And then it's only really in the New Testament where you get the idea of kind of um, a, a place of, of you know of, of dwelling, as it were, of living, where they use the word Gehenna, uh, which is a hair product, I think. But I'm not. I sure. believe it uh, is. Uh, Hinnom. Yes, actually, it's the Valley of Hinnom. It comes can you from, not which... get Gehenna tattoos? You can. <laughs> yeah, you can say. Yeah, you can get. It's basically a. They're not a so Hinnom... permanent. <laughs> no, they're eternal, and they torment you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, no, it comes to the Valley of Hinnom, and it was really the valley outside Jerusalem, that's to the south, where all the rubbish was burned. Yeah, that's so a, that's why you had the flames there. Dump. It was just a place of sort of filth, and it was associated with um, sort of human sacrifice and stuff like that mm. in, in previous years. Um, so that, you know this, and even the New Testament writers, when you come and look at them, they don't really say a lot about hell. Yeah, it's a surprising such. thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Paul doesn't really talk about. He talks about wrath a bit and judgment and all that, and, but he doesn't really talk a lot about what follows. There's a little bit in Thessalonians, two Thessalonians, mm. but not much there. So, yeah. so really, there isn't. There's not. A, mm. I mean, part of the reason why we're having this conversation is because there isn't really a clear, you know, statement. In fact, you know, the whole of the afterlife or the, the uh, um, uh, you know, the, what happens next is is. Uh, it's never really clearly defined, but we can get some mm. clues. Anyway, the, out of all that, just to make it a bit quicker, is that um, yeah. basically a t- early Christian doctrine it sort of came up with three three different views. So I'm going, I'll give you the three. These are the three standard views of hell, Joe. You probably yeah. know this because you've probably been condemned to each one of them by various <laughs> yeah, pretty, members pretty, of your congregation. Yes, yeah, regularly. <laughs> Certainly by the last big church <laughs> I was a part of. <laughs> so, so number one. And uh, top of the pops, <laughs> particularly for Jonathan Edwards, is eternal conscious torment. <laughs> Go straight in at number one, uh, Bob Pickers, eternal conscious torment. And uh, you're going to be there forever. You are going to be conscious and it's going to be tormenting. That's well, that's super. Do you wanna, let me give you a little, another little snippet of laughing Johnny Edwards. Here he goes. He says... Um, it's, it's everlasting wrath. It would be dreadful to suffer this fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment, but you must suffer it to all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible mis- misery. When you look forward, you shall see a long forever, a boundless duration before you, which will swallow up your thoughts and amaze your soul, and you will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance, any end, any mm. mitigation, any rest at all. You will know certainly that you must wear out long ages, millions and millions of ages, in wrestling and conflicting with this almighty, merciless vengeance. And then when you have so done, when so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, you will know that all is but a point to what remains. Lovely. What a happy thought! That yeah, because there's no, there's right. no break, there's no coffee, there's nothing. That's good. And so that's I'll... eternal conscious torment. And what I particularly appreciate about that is, of course, the fact that he has at last got the gospel right. The basic, <laughs> the basic gospel is: be afraid. Not only be afraid, yeah. but be very afraid. Yes. Thank you and good night. That's what Jesus said so often. <laughs> yes, so often. Do be afraid. Do be said. afraid. That's that's the big yeah. announcement of yeah. the gospel. Yeah. For anyway, so, so eternal conscious torment <laughs> is one. Um, then the second one is um, limited conscious punishment 
ending with annihilation. Oh, well, so that's in other nicer. words, yeah. So it's a little bit nicer. So in other words, you'll get quite a long period of uh, conscious. Uh, sort of so what's that? A thousand years or something? Or depends on the crime. I think. Does it? Oh mm. dear. They don't put a thing on it really, but it's it's quite a chunk. Yeah. yeah. But then finally you get annihilated. Um. And so the third view... So, so you've got term, two views. Yeah. Eternal conscious torment, limited conscious punishment and annihilation. And then the third view is uh, universalism. Yeah. Which is that everything, in the end, will be redeemed. Everybody, all of creation, will be redeemed. Now, the what, thing you is... Mean, you, you mean like everything under heaven and earth? Yes. Shall proclaim yes. Jesus is Lord? Mm. All things. That, Interesting so, thought. <laughs> I think I see where you're heading. <laughs> I think what's I think what I find interesting is all three of these, in a sense, you can find support for in the biblical text if you want yeah. to. You know, you can, as normal, you can find, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a group called the the Cappadocian Fathers. Um, uh, uh, oh yes, do you know them? Yeah, they rang a string of coffee shops yeah, in the early right, church, yeah, I believe. Yeah, Cappadocian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, and then they um, so three three mainline teachers, really significant teachers in the church. Basil, Basil, or oh yes, Basil. <laughs> Gregory of Nazianzus and Gregory of Nyssa. And that, what is interesting yes. about it, they were really good friends. Two of them were brothers. I think one of the Gregories and Basil were the brothers. But they all dis- they all had different views. Yeah. So 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 Basil was a big eternal torment man. Gregory was a, an annihilation man. And Gregory of Nyssa, who is, I think, a wonderful theologian yes. on so many levels, yes, is, uh, like is the um, universalist. But all praise to you for being able to read looking it looks like without notes that you can remember those three different things i'm well, very impressed because i certainly didn't i just thought it was worth giving people that a kind of overview and, and saying to people straight away look there is There's no, no orthodox set line yeah, yeah there is no there is no orthodox line on this and and the, it, it it was kind of augustine and uh, in the west and chris john chrysostom in the east who kind of established it it's only really from I suppose fifth century onwards. I have to say, uh, there are elements early on that, um, like Justin Martyr writing in um, late second century, he's very he's very clear on eternal torment. So, it's, mm. you know, we have to admit that these views are there. We can't sort of airbrush them out and pretend no, they're not sure. there. Yeah, the church has believed those three things. But um, those, are, those are the three options. So, Joe, yeah. I'm going to put this to you. Here we go. All right. What are some of the problems you feel with it, with those views? Eternal, eternal conscious torment. Let's let's start with that one. Well, well you, I, what's the problem there? Well, there's a number of problems with that, isn't there? One is it it's presents God as one who doesn't practice what he preaches. In, in, yes. In the it, sense of you know, here's this lovely teaching from God's mouth about, you know, love for enemies and forgiveness and everything. Yeah, but God yeah. is absolutely incapable of doing that. Yes, yes. Himself or herself. as I Or there like comes a point when you don't have to do that. Really. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that there, ergo, we get, we get permission to be mean to other people mm, as well. Because if mm. God's like that, you know, we become like the God we worship. So, yeah. I think there's a there's a number. I mean, the, the other thing about eternal conscious torment is, look, I you know, I understand all the stuff about, you know, one drop of sin, as it were, making us mm. impure. But everything about me thinks that, you know, for most people, have have really what yeah. they've done is is in an, yeah. is in the eternity of <laughs> conscious punishment. Yeah, it seems is a that, little bit over the top. Doesn't seem to fit the crime, no. does it? On, on, you on might the say it's. It's literally overkill. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, um, 
Yeah, yes, it's exactly. How, how can you issue an infinite yeah. punishment for finite yeah, exactly. sin? That doesn't just yeah. work for me. Yeah. And um, and obviously the you know the the pictures of God we get in the the yeah. the Bible or the uh, you know, oh, yeah. they can go either way a bit, but you know generally it's the, you know forgiving, yeah, endlessly forgiving, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. I personally would think you know eternal torment is. Not yes, I think right. we're probably on the same page you know, there. And, and if, I don't know about you, I don't really hear it spoken of very much no, now. I no, only in extreme yeah, churches, yeah. generally in uh, America. So the second one is uh, limited times of punishment with, uh, you know... Um, <laughs> but yeah. ultimately destroyed. And then destruction. That's yeah, nice, but, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know, sort of burning around the ant's nest before you turn <laughs> yeah, the yeah. magnifying glass so on So I think it. we've it's identified a... some problems with this one as well. Right? <laughs> let's just... If let's you're just... going to annihilate somebody, just get on with it. Let's be thought. mean with them first, though. Make them think about what they've done. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. It's like the teachers. So, right. yeah. so here we go. I'm going to sit you on the naughty step for four minutes and then I'm going to annihilate you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, but at least you'll be annihilated knowing that you've upset me. Um, <laughs> I don't really, yeah, know, that that kind of thing is. I mean, annihilation. I can sort of go with that if you know if that mm. was one option. Uh, you know that people mm. would be would just go, yeah, just disappear. There are problems with this. I think in that when I think about a resurrected life, I think, well, how can I have true joy if I'm don't know the fate, or rather, I know the fate all too clearly of those whom I love and care about. Mm. You know, I d- I'm not sure how that can happen. I mean, is this the idea that C.S. Lewis had? You know, he had mm. quite a nice picture of heaven, yeah. didn't he? Of people sort of they wouldn't actually enjoy it, so they sort of disbar themselves. Yes. So there's there's the image of. So Lewis said this in in the, in the Great Divorce, which is a brilliant, brilliant book. If yeah. you've ever read it, but he said um, he talks about. Uh, well, he's, his guide on that is George MacDonald, who I've spoken about on this podcast, and who was a universalist. I um, thought for one second we were going to go a podcast without mentioning George MacDonald, but there we go. Yeah, I know. Well, we haven't. We've mentioned Richard Fluffy Raw, so you know, fair's fair. In a um, letter, uh, yeah. But you've got somebody to write. Anyway, okay. um, the uh, uh, yeah, he says he he sort of argues well, you can't have, you know, you cannot have as heaven as it were being allowed to be miserable because people are in hell, because that's to allow the people in hell to hold heaven to ransom kind of thing. Okay. But I think on the downside of that, I'm not quite sure how I could be truly yeah. joyful if I knew that my loved ones weren't... Yeah. Were going, were going to have a period of, you know... Reflect yes. on the naughty step and then get annihilated. Uh, or even if you'd done as Jesus had asked and loved your enemies, presumably if you'd loved them, you would be sad for that as well. Yeah. So and the, the other thing is, that, you know, in a lot of uh, books about this, or, or actually the thing is, so I did read some quite chunky, or at least pick up some quite chunky tones on doctrine. And the, the actual hell bit is only got a couple of pages, I think largely because nobody quite knows what, what to do with it. But one of the things that they do say about hell is, you know, hell is ultimately the absence of God. Now, yeah. I, I, I sort of can go with that, except this. 
Where in the universe is God absent from? Yeah, there's, there's, therein lies the problem. I don't know. You see, let's say you get mm. to. Let's say, I mean, I can go with a. I can go with a space where you get to through your own choices, through your own choices, not to accept God, and you you choose that route. I can I can understand that. But after that, if you suddenly, if you're there and you suddenly realise this is what I've done, and the true horror of what you've done comes on you, and you repent, do we think that God at that point won't? listen to yeah. that person is there a, is there a point and there seems this seems to be the argument with the hell that there is a point after which repent the repentance button doesn't work yeah god says yeah, you, i'm sorry faulty. yes it... we've cut you off it's like the phone yeah. you've been cut off i can't talk to yeah. you anymore i find it hard to go with on the grounds of a, a an ever loving endlessly loving god yeah, yeah. so that all that comes together for me personally and I, I can't say about other people but for me personally I to, from, to push me much more towards universalism towards the idea that all yeah. creation will be redeemed well, that God will carry on um, with people endlessly until yeah. they yeah. Uh, come to him yeah uh, what about you oh, well I'm sort of um, surprised to hear you get to that point actually um, Why? Did you think I was an eternal torment kind of man? No, I didn't see you as an eternal torment, but knowing you to be the lover of C.S. Lewis and everything, mm. I assumed you would be more on that. No, I. It, it took me a while before I could absolutely unashamedly say I was a universalist because you got Karl Barth saying things like, if you've never been tempted to universalism, uh, you've never understood the love of God. So he's not quite going the whole way, but he's saying you've you've mm. definitely got to go in that direction. You've yes. got others who yeah. I really respect, like Dallas Willard, saying, you know, God's in the business of getting everyone who can stand it into mm. heaven. And that's, that's sort of going a long way again, but not quite going the whole hog. But I, I think I, I, saw, um, I saw a quote this week, uh, not in the book that I read on hell, um, but in a, another place. And, and for me, it summed up, I guess, what I think about the whole gospel, which is Christianity is an opt-out religion rather than an opt-in religion. Mm. Now let's just take it slow through that one again. Christianity, I know we don't like the word religion, but Christianity is an opt-out religion rather than an opt-in religion. And that summarised, I think, where my thinking has got to for so long. It's not that there's this group and that group, the in-crowd, the out-crowd. Everybody's in. Mm. Everyone always has been in because they're created in the image of God. And so, um, I, you know, I happen to think heaven and hell a lot of the time, you know, we're thinking in a purely eschatological sense, you know, that after you die, I think it's a reality here for our yes. lives now. Yes, I yes, think yes. some people are living in hell and I think it's incumbent on those of us who are trying to live the way of Jesus, not to be saved after we die so much, but as to do something about those that are in yeah. hell and yeah. to help very practically. So, um, so I, I would say that a lot of my thinking on this has been, um, well, it's been going over years, but I, I, the book I really would recommend on uh, universalism is a book called The Evangelical Universalist. Ah, yeah. By... Uh, it was really originally written under a pseudonym, uh, Greg, uh, Gregory MacDonald. Um, I think it's out there. It's by a, a, a 
friend of mine called Robin Parry. And it's very, very good. And really thorough. And and yeah. goes through all the texts and looks at them. And, and all the philosophical arguments. Sometimes, yeah. you know... Good bet. It's very, very good. And, mm. you know, he... he Look, I, I think there's a few things around that we can do with this. I mean, there's three things I think I know about God. I think one is God is creator. Yeah. God is judge, and God is love. Those three aspects of Him are in there. Now, God yeah. as creator, it seems to me, will not leave His creation incomplete. Yeah. And that's why I think Paul in Romans talks about how all creation is yearning. Yeah. To be made yeah. whole again. It's not just humans, and it's, it's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. So that Good to me language. speaks of yeah. new creation. Like it. Now, I don't think we can ignore the many, many texts that talk about God as judge. No. Nope. And I think, why do we want there to be a hell? We want there to be a hell because the sense of justice in us yeah. wants people to face responsibility yeah. for what they've done. Exactly. And I, I want that, and I think that's right. Um, you know, I think that's true. But punishment doesn't have to mean torture, does it? That's the thing. That's what I think mm. I'd like to say here. Um, let me just read a little bit from uh, uh, the Evangelical University. If I can find it, here mm. it is. Um, I'm going to read. Robin writes, or Gregory writes. He took those names, by the way, um, because of mm. Gregory the Great, I think, and George MacDonald. So he became um, Gregory MacDonald in a pseudonym. Anyway, uh. he said this. If we think of hell as the state in which God allows the painful reality of sin to hit home, then we can understand both the terrible imagery used in Scripture to portray such a fate and the urgent warning to avoid the wide road that leads in that direction. It also removes the objection that God is being presented as a cosmic torturer, hurting people until they agree to follow him. God doesn't torture anybody. He simply withdraws his protection that allows people to live under the illusions that sin is not necessarily harmful to a truly human life. In other words, what he's arguing... And I think this is true. So that you know, all the images of fire and stuff in the, mm. in the New Testament, because it struck mm. me that we always think mm. of fire as meaning torment in the New Testament, but actually, quite a lot of the time, fire means purging. Purifying. It means purifying. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think there will be a point where you, you see uh, Jesus clearly and God clearly, where you see things clearly, and truly. And there will be a point when you see your own life clearly and truly. Yeah. And for some people, that will be an extremely painful difficult moment yeah you know that's what because otherwise what what are we left with otherwise we're left with the fact that everything is up to chance in a way or providence i suppose if you wanted to do that so mm. you, you're let's say you're a little boy in some village and oh. i don't know in a valley somewhere mm. in a, mm. a, a country where there's a totally different religion you are reliant according to this some theology you're reliant on some evangelist coming to your village and being on form that day, yeah, so that you that's believe. Right, yeah. That's the incongruence of it all, isn't it? Yeah. And if, if he has a bad day, if he's yeah. had a long journey, if he's left his yeah. note, if he's left his <laughs> notes at home, you've had it. Eternal yeah, torment. Going to hell. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it can't yeah. be that way, can it? No. Um, so you know, I think, I think, I think that the judgment and justice in this sense is a sense of purification. Uh, personally, I'm sort of veering towards purgatory. But uh, I, I haven't really thought about you that old yet. Catholic, you old Catholic. I know. It's odd, isn't it? Anyway, um, <laughs> and the final thing, of course, the, the three things. So God is, God is creator. God is judge. God, God is love. God yeah. is love. Well, that's the, that's the slam dunk, surely. That is the slam dunk. And, and, and it seems to me that 
people facing the reality of who they are and what they've done is a loving thing in a way. You know, that is a loving thing in that sense. Um, so you could see yeah. the justice working with love. But even if that's not what happens, I mean, the fact is that if we think Jesus was God or Jesus shows us what God's like, then God is endlessly, mm. limitlessly forgiving. And God that's looks the, like Jesus. That's the nature. And God looks yeah. like Jesus. And everything that Jesus does, we should imagine God doing it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's where we come down to. Um, now, what you just said, something really important earlier, which is because the objection to mm. universalism is often, well, doesn't that mean we could just do without evangelism? And we could just... Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know leave it all yeah. but but no because that's a misunderstanding of the kingdom of god because yeah, the kingdom of god is yeah. it, it assumes the kingdom of god only happens after death after your death yeah. whereas what if yeah do you, what if it wasn't about going to heaven after you die but going to heaven before you die yes so what, what if, if he, what if what if heaven is really life after life after death yeah in tom wright's phrase in yeah, other words exactly. you know it starts right now and therefore there's a great uh, onus on us to talk about the love of God and the love of Jesus and the life that can be lived as a follower of him right now yeah yeah I mean I did you know we, I'm sure we said this before Dallas always talks about not the cost of discipleship he talks about the cost of non-discipleship mm. what's not following Jesus costing you is it costing you you know you know you could have a, a life without anxiety a life without worry how about that what about a life of peace and love you know this this was the life that Jesus was offering a life in yeah. the kingdom here now, not some other time. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we've ended up agreeing. Is this what you're saying? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yes, we often do that, really, don't we? It feels well, like we do. Yeah, I mean, I'm you're just... just a bit extreme, but, you know. I'm, I'm gently surprised by this, but I, I can imagine some people feeling uncomfortable talking about universalism. Okay. Like, mm. that's, a, that's a bridge too far. We like these two Brits yeah, okay. going on about, uh, you know, their beliefs and everything. But now they're not getting... Now, now they've gone beyond the Bible. But what you've been saying is, no, the Bible is actually pointing to these three views and these three views have always existed. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. that. Yeah. So here's the thing. There has never been one universally accepted doctrine of hell. Yeah. And these three views have been preached th throughout history. And, you know, um, in this book, Robin slash Gregory gives a massive list of all the people who've, who have been universalists. Um, yeah. Interestingly, I didn't know this, but in the Orthodox Church, you are, um, they accept that you can be universalist as a sort of personal position, but it's not an official sort of dogma. Right. But they seem to have okay. got a compromise on it, really. So it's a perfectly orthodox position, actually, I think. And it's important. No, I was just thinking in terms of the whole mid-faith crisis thing, which I suppose is why we're doing this whole podcast, is, you know, like it's it's one of the questions that starts the crisis. Yeah. How can God be, how can a God yeah. of love be sending people to hell? Yeah. You know, and it, it's, you know, I think people need to hear us say, as people who've been in crisis for many years, actually one of the ways we have opened up to a more expansive, bigger vision of God is, is that journey towards seeing, ah, oh, no, of course there are other ways of looking yeah. at what the Bible teaches. And actually the Bible doesn't say much about hell at all. Like you say, talks about Sheol, talks about Gehenna, talks about Hades, which, you know, is not the same as this big doctrine of hell that, I mean, and the book I read, you know, mostly comes from Dante. And oh his, really? Well, I'm sorry, vision, yeah. I've talked. No, so no, no, that's fine. No, 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 no. It's good. What's what's that book? Is it good? 
It's called Inventing Hell by John Sweeney. And uh, it is basically just a treatment of how most of what we now believe about hell and certainly what we've believed for the last several hundred years comes from Dante. Oh yeah, and and but, Greek and it, with its yeah. origins in Greek mythology, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not Dan- in the Bible. Dante yeah. was largely settling scores. He's a wonderful. Dante. Yeah, well, Dante, Dante, you, potato, potato. Yeah, you, let's call the whole thing off. Um, but he, yeah, um, it, okay. Uh, I, so, so just those three things. I think I would leave people. One, there is no sort of set view, so you are at liberty yeah. to to believe something else. Two. Um, none of us really know what the future holds beyond this this life. The Bible is full of metaphor and illusion, and, and I think particularly anybody who builds sort of a massive edifice of of, mm. of doctrine on a partially quoted bit of revelation is an idiot. I just want to say that quite clearly. <laughs> Thank and, you. And, and, and Thank you third... for that strong and stable leadership. Yeah, well. and the third thing is, you know, whatever you come to, it has to begin with a God of love. Exactly. It has to begin and end with the God of love, really. And yeah. if it doesn't contain the ultimate triumph of love, then I, you know, I don't think that's a theology that can be sustained, really. So, you know, there we go. Well, I have enjoyed seeing you so passionate about it. I must say. Well, you know, I, I, um, I like him. I like it when I occasionally know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if I do, well, no, but I, I, I just thought it was because so many people have been talking about this episode. Yeah. You know, sure. we, we would. Uh, yes. Know, do, do, do it. In yes, you, you properly researched it. I actually did some work and we, did, we, we had some content. And anyway, so seriously, it's been something I've been thinking about and reading about for a long time anyway. So, you know, it's not that I've just suddenly done it for this yeah. show. It's, uh, no. But I do recommend the book. We'll put them on the website and we'll, you know, yeah. we'll let you know. Absolutely. And I personally am looking forward to seeing you this weekend. Yes, we're going together, to be together again. Are we going to record any live bits? Even though I it don't won't know. come out on that Saturday, we could maybe we could put a little bonus podcast out next Let's week. Put a little bonus shall podcast, we? shall we? Go on. Yeah, because we could talk a bit about heaven <laughs> to balance it, or we could just more, more likely, inspiring. more likely, we could just be rude to each other and drink. <laughs> okay. Anyway, thanks so much for that, All Matey. Right. I really appreciate. It. And and listen, we'd love to hear. Uh, what your views are how how have you journeyed what did you used to believe what do you believe now what do you find helpful from this podcast and what was utterly irritating uh, write in let us know joe at midfaithcrisis.org love mm. to hear from you uh, thank you ever so much for listening um yeah we'll be with you in a couple of weeks or maybe just slightly before that if we put a little 0.5 episode in uh, <laughs> anyway we'll, we'll speak to you soon yeah god bless you thanks for listening mm.